Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. Hey, it is great that we have a chance to gather today and to worship. I'm really excited for our time here today. And uh, as, as we gather here, we're going to be continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago called Share. And this, this series called Share is really focusing on how God has given us this increasing overflowing measure of his love that it might overflow from our lives and we might share it with others. And we took as our theme verse that, that first week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, that says this. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. It's a prayer that we are praying for Wildwood this year. And it is this. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So we begin our series by talking about that increasing, overflowing measure of God's love extended to us that he intended us to share then last week, we, we talked about how one of the expressions of that love was when we engage with those around us. We talked about engaging with those outside the church. And one of the challenges that we had collectively was for all of us to think of one arena, one area of our lives where we might increase our engagement with people this year. Or we might just take advantage of the opportunities that God has placed before us to interact with people a little more, have our, our people switch on in those settings a little more, that we might see God do something in those relationships. But we also talked about how we want to engage not just in places outside the church, but we want to engage inside the church as well. And we want to begin to interact with one another in a, a more friendly way and, and to get to know one another in a deeper way. And one of the ways that we talked about doing that was having a name amnesty period. Y'all remember this last Sunday where we had people put on name tags. And with those name tags, we turned and said hello to people that maybe we've sat by for a long time, but we haven't said hello to in a long time. Um, or maybe you were here and we hadn't said anything to yet, but we put on name tags and we turned and we said hello. And we talked about that being name amnesty because sometimes it's a challenge to say hello to those around you because you don't know their name and you feel a little awkward about that because maybe you should. And so today we're going to take name amnesty day and we're going to make name amnesty period, a longer section of time. And so I'm going to ask you to take a name tag out of the seat back in front of you again. And I want you to write your name again, your real name on there. Uh, my son was, was here last week. He heard me say that. He's nine years old almost. And, and when, he, when he heard me say that, he changed from Josh to Joshua. He thought I'm in his legal name. I just meant if your name is Mike, don't say Jethro. Put your real name on there. Put it on your body. And now stand up, turn around. You got 60 seconds to say hello to somebody around you. All right. Well, hey, that, that was a short amount of time. 
And uh, really, my, my hope and desire uh, for that time is that that would whet your appetite. This room is full of some great people. And maybe the conversation that you began and the name that you exchanged just there, that that conversation might continue after the service. Uh, out in our gathering hall, um, we'd love for you to continue those conversations as we engage with one another here. But today we're going to continue our discussion of share, and we're going to look at the topic of inviting, inviting, that one of the things that happens when we increase in overflow with God's love is that we invite others. Specifically, we invite them to connect with us around the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before we look at that, though, I want to just make a statement about inviting that maybe describes some of our attitudes towards it. We think of inviting, many times we minimize the power of the invitations that we extend. We minimize the power of the invitations that we extend. In other words, I might think, you know, I I could invite Brian to go to lunch or to go get together, but, you know, it probably is not that significant of 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 something to do. We minimize those things. But here's the thing, and this is what I want to challenge us with as we begin today. Many of the most powerful things that have happened in your life began with an invitation. You ever thought about that? Many of the most powerful things that have happened in your life began with an invitation. I'll give you a few examples to maybe illustrate that. I want to take you back to the summer of 1994. July 1994, um, I, there was a girl that I was interested in. Her name at the time was Kimberly Atwater. And she was living in South Carolina for the summer. I was living in California for the summer. And so I wrote her a letter and I invited her to get together in August and to talk about us. That's right. I invited her on a date. So we get together and and I invite her to enter into a relationship with me. And believe it or not, she said no. But a few days later, thankfully, she reconsidered, and uh, a number of years later, we, are, we, we, we get married, and uh, just what, what a, a blessing that's been. Uh, the marriage that we have had began with an invitation. Think about another experience. I want to take you to 2000. In 2000, uh, October 2000, September 2000, I, I get a phone call from a, a guy named Bob Reed, some of you all know Bob Reed. Uh, they, he and his wife, Deb, and their family were a part of Wildwood for a number of years before they moved overseas uh, to New Zealand. But uh, Bob and, and Dave Sabatini, Dave, are you, are you, there he is, Dave, Dave Sabatini, his wife, Francis, back there. Bob and Dave uh, called me and said, hey, Mark, we have an opening at Wildwood for a college pastor. Would you be interested in talking more about that? And, and I said yes, and so they came down and we had lunch at TGI Fridays at Louisville uh, on I-35 there uh, in Texas. And when we got together and we had lunch and um, that lunch turned into uh, a career, there's power in an invitation. I want to take you to 1992, fall of 1992, August 1992. I, I'm sitting um, in, in a room with, with two guys, Mark Weems and John Lookabaugh. Um, who invited me to be a part of a fraternity that they were a part of. I said yes, and, and I've had a lifetime of, of friendships that have come out of that time. You know, there's power in invitations. And I don't know all of your stories, but I know enough of your stories to know 
um, that you all have similar things that you could share. There are big things that have happened in your lives that were the result of an invitation. We should not minimize the power of invitations. Lifelong friendships, careers, marriages, eternities are changed through invitations. When we think about that in general, it certainly also applies in our spiritual lives. Our spiritual lives grow and develop many times through a process of invitations. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a spiritual invitation. An invitation that uh, takes place in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Actually, a few invitations in those verses. And we will spend some time in those verses today as we remind each other of the power of a spiritual invitation. We're going to look at that together today. Now, uh, before we read these verses, it's helpful for us to realize that there is more than one person named John in the Bible. Um, Because the Gospel of John is where we're reading from. But we're going to read about another John who is mentioned very early on in this passage who also had a nickname called the Baptizer, John the Baptist. Different John from the one who wrote the gospel, but also someone quite significant in the New Testament and in our understanding of the Christian faith. So I want to read to us an account of John the Baptist and some of his disciples and their interactions with Jesus, maybe some of their first interactions with him. John 1, verse 35 says this, The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so in these verses, we have a few invitations. And what I want us to do is I want us to see two big things today from these verses that I think are impactful for us in our lives. The first thing that I want us to see is this. We have been invited to follow Jesus. We have been invited to follow Jesus. Now we see that in verses 35 through 39. And we see that Uh, really, in the interaction that happens with John the Baptist and his followers. Now, when you think about John the Baptist in this situation, John knew that his role was to be the one who would go before the Messiah. He was not the one to build his own kingdom, to build his own network of followers, but ultimately his job was to clear a path to point other people to Jesus. This is very similar to the job that, that you and I have been given. Our job is not to make kingdoms of ourselves. Our job is to point people to Christ. 
John was the first of that number, and John's job is to point people to Christ. And so John, in his ministry of of calling people to follow Christ, had gone down to this river, and he had prepared them for a relationship with Christ by calling them to recognize and repent of their sin. And a number of people recognized their sin, repented of it, and they were baptized. But John knew that all he could do in his own power, and and as God had directed him in the little corner of his ministry, was to help people become aware of their sin. But John had no ability to forgive them of their sin. That was something that God would need to do. And God would do through the person of Jesus Christ. And so John, as he is standing there one day, sees Jesus walk by. and, And God had made very clear to John that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. We, we see that in the verses that immediately precede uh, what, we are, what we just read. But John sees Jesus walk by, and, and instead of seeing Jesus as competition, John wants to point everybody in his posse, he wants to point them to Christ. And so John says to his disciples who are standing there with him, Behold the Lamb of God. He's even more explicit in the section just before this where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, what John was saying was, I've been talking about sin and you have recognized the fact that you were sinners. But in that person right there, in Jesus Christ, is the one who could do something about your sin. He's the one who could offer his life as a sacrifice to substitute for the punishment that your sin deserves. That guy right there is the one who is the Lamb of God. And you guys ought to follow him. That's what John does. He points people to Jesus because he knows that their ultimate need could only be met in him. Well, John invites two of his disciples to follow Jesus. Well, who did he, who, who, who takes off? Well, two of his disciples go and begin following Christ. One of them is named, one of them is unnamed. The one who is named is named as Andrew. The one who is unnamed, uh, most scholars see this as probably the John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's kind of his style, kind of his MO to, to pull his name out of the story. Most likely this was John, the Apostle John, who begins following Jesus at this moment too. And so Andrew and John begin to follow Christ. Now, here's what is is interesting about this this account. Andrew and John are, are really best known by the pairs that they hung out with. Because when you think about it, Andrew's brother is Simon Peter. John's brother is James. So, Peter and Andrew, James and John, that's two pretty formidable duos in the New Testament. We, we hear a lot about them. As a matter of fact, there's another account of those guys being called to follow Christ that happens in the other Gospels where they're out in their boats. Do you remember this? They're out in their boats and Jesus walks by, they're, they're fishermen, and Jesus walks by and he says what? Follow me and I will make you You guys have read this story. This is great. So he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so James and John, Simon, uh, Peter, and and Andrew drop their nets and they follow Christ. Now, when you've heard that story before, have you ever thought, man, that is amazing. 
What, what was it that, that caused them to hop out of their boats that fast? These guys left a career. They left their family. They left everything to follow Christ just that fast. Was Jesus glowing when he walked by? Um, how is it that they knew to follow him? Well, here's the thing. It really wasn't as mystical, though God was certainly involved. It really wasn't as mystical as we've made it out to be. Because what we see in John chapter 1 was that encounter on the Sea of Galilee in the boats was not their first encounter with Jesus. They had gotten to know him earlier. As a matter of fact, uh, Andrew and John got to know Christ initially because their friend, John the Baptist, who they trusted, said, that guy right there is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, who will take away the sins of the world. That's a pretty big introduction coming from someone that they trusted. So Andrew and John begin to follow Christ. But what's interesting is they, they haven't necessarily got it all figured out yet. They're not sure. John the Baptist had given quite an endorsement. He had given some great feedback, but they still were maybe a little unclear. So they're kind of following behind Christ a little ways, and, and Jesus kind of looks over his shoulder, and he notices these two, two guys that he can't lose. And so Jesus turns around, and, and he engages with them. He, he interacts with them. And, and what does he say? He says, what are you seeking? Now, depending on how we, we read that depends on the emotion that we imagine Jesus had there. Sometimes we read that, and we think that Jesus is irritated. What are you doing why are you doing that? Why are you chasing me down? Sometimes we want to read it that way. But I don't think that's what Jesus was doing at all. I don't think he was trying to lose them. I don't think he was trying to embarrass them. I think Jesus just wanted to clarify what they were up to. Hey, guys, hanging out at a distance, why are you coming after me? He wanted to clarify their intention because if their intention was to find someone who was going to throw, overthrow the Romans that weekend, he might have referred them to the zealot rally down the street. But instead of answering something like that, these guys just basically say, hey, can we hang out? Say, hey, where do you live? What are you doing? We want to spend some time with you. That's basically what they were saying. On the basis of their friend, John the Baptist, they decided that they wanted to follow and be around Jesus, but they weren't sure exactly who he was yet. And so they wanted to go have an interview. They wanted to go have a conversation. They wanted to see what he was all about. They wanted to connect with him. And so the initial invitation that was extended to them by John the Baptist was, was initially met with just kind of a, I'll just check this out. And Jesus said, come on, let's go. Let's spend some time together. Now, I mentioned that for, for a couple of reasons. You know, sometimes we can begin to think that the only invitations, spiritually speaking, that are significant are the ones that result in immediate results. We think that the only invitations that matter are the ones when the guy actually jumps out of the boat, runs through the water, and follows Jesus forever. We think that the only spiritual invitation that matters is when you sit down across a table from somebody and you present the four spiritual laws or the good news, bad news, or you present the gospel message in some way and that person repents and believes in that very moment and their life is forever changed. They walked into that, an alcoholic, they walk out of that stone cold sober and they never return to the drink again. We think that that conversation is the only one that is spiritually significant. And we think that because we've misread our New Testaments. 
As a matter of fact, sometimes very significant responses to invitations come in ways that look very mundane. John says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they went to check it out. And you know what? That resonates with our story, doesn't it? Most likely in your life, there was a moment like that. There was a time where somebody came along and said, hey, Jesus, check him out. May have happened when a friend invited you to church camp or to youth group in high school. May have happened when you went to VBS as a young kid. May have happened as an adult as you're interacting with somebody over coffee or they recommend an article that you read or a book or, or, or you come and, and, and visit a small group or, or an event. Whatever it is, you come to church some Sunday. But, but typically it begins with somebody saying, hey, check out Jesus and you come and enter into a process by which you're getting to know him what happened with Andrew. That's what happened with us. I think about my own story. You know, back in, in, uh, in, in the summer of 1989, uh, my sister goes away to college to a Campus Crusade for Christ summer project, and she comes home, and she shares with me that I'm a sinner in need of grace, what every 15-year-old brother is waiting for his sister to tell him. Um, and I assure her that I'm okay, but it began a process, Right? It's as if my sister Debbie pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who can take away your sin. Began a process in me, and and God followed that up by bringing into my life another man, Dwight Nash, who was a student at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, but the part-time youth director at my church, and and he came along beside me, and he said, hey, look, look look at Jesus. He's the one who can take away your sin. He's the one who loves you eternally. And I remember on Easter Sunday, 1990, trusting Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, a process of several invitations that have been extended to me. You see, there's power in an invitation. And you know that. You know that even about your own spiritual story. You, for me, it was Debbie and Dwight. For you, it, it could be other other people that God has used in your life, but we've been invited to follow Christ. Let's not minimize the power of an invitation. And also, let's not minimize the the reality that, that there may be some of you here today who are here because you're checking it out. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you and you're kind of in that phase like Andrew was and, and John was, and you're just checking things out right now. Perhaps you've gone, gotten further than that. Maybe, maybe you just wandered in today. You were driving down the road, you saw the sign out front, and you turned in, hoping that we had good coffee. And, and here you are in this room. I don't know what all your story is, but perhaps you're here today, and you, you're, you're sitting here th- there thinking, I don't have a completed story yet. I wish somebody, or, or maybe at some point, somebody will invite me to follow Christ. And if that's the case for you, here's the thing. I don't want you to leave today feeling like you have not been invited to follow Christ. We're going to spend some extra time on this a little later on today, but I want you to know that today we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who offers to take away your sins, to reconcile you to to God forever, to place his Holy Spirit inside of you, to embrace you and encourage you and place you in community with others. This This is what God has offered to us, and I want to invite you to follow that guy, the Lamb of God. I want to invite you to follow him today. We have been invited, invited to follow Christ. Now, 
We also see, though, that not only have we been invited to follow Christ, but we have the privilege of inviting others to follow him as well. That's the way it works. It's a process. It's a relay. Somebody invited us to follow Christ. Now we have the privilege of inviting others to follow him as well. We see that very clearly with Andrew. Now, what do we know about Andrew? Very little, actually. But one of the things we know about Andrew is that every time Andrew shows up, especially in John's gospel, he's inviting people to Jesus. We see it here in in chapter 1 where he invites his brother Simon to come to Jesus. We see it later on in chapter 6 when Andrew invites this young boy with some fish and loaves to come to Jesus. We see it later on in chapter 12 when he invites a Greek, uh, some Greek people uh, who, are, who are not Jewish people, they're, they're outsiders. He invites them to come to Jesus. Every time we see Andrew, he's inviting people to Jesus. And in many ways, we can identify with Andrew, not in, only in his story of coming to Christ, but also in his ministry. You see, some, there's only one guy who stood up on Pentecost and preached a big sermon. But there are many of us who have the opportunity to invite others to come and to learn about Christ, to come and meet him, to follow him. We have the privilege of being inviters, just like Andrew was. And Andrew goes and he invites his brother Simon to come to Christ. Now, here is what is interesting. We, we hear this, and we know because we, we've read, you know, we've seen the movie, there's a you know, spoiler alert, Simon becomes Peter, it's a big deal. Um, We think that, you know, Andrew must have been very strategic in his invitation of Simon. That he picked Simon specifically because uh, that was the most strategic thing that he could possibly do. He he knew exactly what was going to happen, so he invites Simon to come to Jesus, knowing full well that Simon is going to become Peter. But here's the thing. I don't think Andrew had any idea what was going to happen. Because when we look at the rest of the people that Simon invited to Jesus, do we see any kind of strategy in that? They seem like long shots. Simon brings Greek outsiders to Jesus. Most would have said, go away. Simon says, hey, I want you to meet my friend. And they become part of the evidence of what Jesus is going to do, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Simon brings a little boy to Jesus. I mean, what what are a few fish and loaves going to do to feed thousands of people? Doesn't seem strategic at all, and yet, what does Jesus do? He's able to take the few fish and loaves and and feed the thousands. Simon brings, or uh, Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And and I think it's a very similar thing. It's it's not like, wow, this is a strategic get. Jesus is going to go, hey, everything else you've done, Andrew, good job on that one. No, no. He brings another long shot. I mean, think about this. What do we know about Peter and his personality? He was not a picnic to be around, okay? He cut off a man's ear. Um, He was argumentative. He was always running his mouth. We know these people. We work with them. They live in our house. Um, He's one of those guys. He's a long shot. But Andrew goes and gets him, and he brings him to Jesus. And in Jesus, he's changed. Jesus says to him, he says, you are called Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, the Aramaic word, the Greek word, Peter. Jesus changed him just like he changed the fish and the loaves, just like he he took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus changed Simon as well. 
Andrew had no idea what was going to happen. Jesus did. We have the privilege of inviting others to connect with Christ. Now, the question for us is, are we? Are we inviting others to connect with Christ? You know, frankly, I'm going to speak about myself here, and maybe you can relate. Sometimes we're more likely to invite people to watch a television show that we liked or invite them to try out a new restaurant that we enjoy than we are to invite them to connect to Christ? Why is that? I think it's in part because we forget just what a tremendous blessing it is to know Jesus as our Savior. We forget what he has done for us. And if we were to keep that in view, we would so freely share it with others because we want them to have what God has given to us. It was never intended just for us. It was always intended to be increasing and overflowing into the lives of others. We need to remember that. But then when we remember that, we also need to to cut ourselves a little bit of a break and and remind us that we don't have to um, do everything in helping bring someone to Christ. God is going to do that. But we can invite them to come and to join us in different levels. Inside the church, it might look one way. Inside the church, we can invite people into community with us. If you're at Wildwood and you're looking for community this morning, we have this thing called group launch. There's these tabs inside your bulletin today. And out in our gathering hall after the service, there are a number of groups out there that are inviting you into their community. Because that's who we are. That's, that's what we do. God has worked within our hearts with an increasing overflowing measure of love that we might engage with one another and invite each other into community with us. We do this inside the church. But we also have the privilege of doing this outside the church, of inviting others in our, our networks, in our schools, and in, in our, our friend groups, our family, our neighborhood, to invite them to come and connect with us around Christ. And again, we don't need to think, okay, when can I get together and walk through a 45-minute presentation? Sometimes it's hard for us to take that initial step. That's not what John the Baptist did. John said, hey, look at Jesus. Go follow him. We can do the same thing by encouraging people to connect in some of the things that we do as a church. We could say, Jesus is really important. Follow him with us. And one of the ways that we want to resource all of us in this direction is found on our website. And and this is a a picture of our website. But up in the upper left corner, there's this new button called Invite Your Friends. And when you click on that button and you go to this section of our website, there are a variety of things. There's there's many more there than just what show on that screen that contain a a square image that can be shared on social media, um, but also a description of some of the things that we've got going on the next month as a church. And we're going to keep this up to date all year to give us a chance to be inviters, to be like Andrew, to invite those around us to join us in following Christ, remembering what he has done for us. We have a privilege of of doing um, that very thing. And when we do that, we're going to do that in ways, and we're not even going to know what God might do, but God can do great things. Just as he's done in our lives, he can do great things in the lives of those in our network as we invite them simply to come and to connect with Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier uh, that I, I was going to give all of us an opportunity today uh, to connect with Christ, to, to begin to follow him. And, and I want to do that uh, this way. I'm going to have the band come up, 
and, and as they come up, they're going to prepare to lead us in a closing song. But, but while they're, they're getting ready, I, I want to just reflect again about this little phrase that Jesus had with Peter. Jesus said to him, you are Simon, son of John. And he said, you shall be, or, or you will be, you, you will be Peter. And what we see in that is this incredible thing that God can do for us, where he can do something in and through us that we cannot do on our own, and he can help us become something that we are not. And so I want to just, just ask you, when we look at this phrase, I want you to begin by this, this phrase, you are. And I want to think about how you would answer that question. You are or I am, just in your own head, just as you sit there. I realize you've got your name on your, your chest, but I, I want you to think even beyond just your name. I want you to think about what an eternal, omniscient God who knows everything about you and everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever thought. I want you to think for a moment of, of what he might think of you knowing those things. So we spend a lot of our lives managing the perception that others have of us um, in different ways. And we think that we can control that. But here's the thing. We have no control over the perception of an eternal, omniscient God over our lives. And we think about you are, in, in, in the eyes of an eternal God, um, the one thing that comes out for me, apart from Christ, when I think of who I am, I, I am a sinner. I fall short of God's glory. There are things that I've done that I want none of you to know about. There are failures that I've done that, 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 that haunt me at times. And you know what? Many of us in this room can relate to that. We think of who we are apart from Christ. We are a sinner. But here's the thing. In Christ, there's another way. In Christ, there's another opportunity. Jesus takes Simon and he says, you are Peter. And in Christ, there's the power to become. In, in, in John chapter 1 and verse 12, he says it this way, but to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That we might be known not for our failure, but for his success. We might be known not for, for the things that, that, that would tear us down, but for the God who would want to build us up. The gift that he wants to give us in Christ. And so if you're here today and you feel as though your life is defined by sin before an eternal God, that today might be the day that you could hear him say, no, no, you shall be my child. And that is something that can happen by faith. And so as we close our, our service today, I want to have everyone stand. And I want to ask all of us today to follow Christ. For some, if this might be a first step of following Christ, where you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you today for the first time. I'm going to trust my heart and my life to you and receive the forgiveness that you offer. For others, it might be a return, where you're saying, today I'm returning to follow Christ. I may have made a decision for Christ at a young age, but I've wandered off on my own. But today, in 2016, I want to return to Jesus. I want to follow him now. And if that describes anyone in this room, I want to give you a chance to, by faith, follow him. And to even come forward today and to talk with some of us who will be up here at the foot of the cross during this song 
where we might be able to pray with you and for you and talk about what God is offering you in Christ. That today might be the day that you begin to follow Christ in faith. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us today to to, to hear of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and our sin specifically. Father, we thank you and we pray today that you would give faith in the hearts of all who are here, that we might embrace what you're offering us in Christ, that we might choose today to follow or to return to follow or to continue to follow Christ because in you are the words of eternal life and you is our hope of our eternity. In you is our forgiveness. In Christ alone, we have those hopes. So Father, I pray today that you would work in our midst, that you might give us the faith to trust you. And Father, any who are are, are placing their faith and their trust in you, either for the first time or again, that today would be a moment where they would come forward, that we might be able to celebrate with them and gather around Jesus together.